Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are the dad our souls need. Thank you that you know us and you see us and you love us and you care for us. And Father, I just pray this morning that you, um, you would help us to get even a taste of your heart for us. I pray that you would speak through me and in spite of me this morning and through uh, these precious, uh, precious saints. So we love you, Jesus. Jim, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning, it's Father's Day. Uh, obviously, that's, uh, yeah, a, a big deal. And, um, and so we, uh, I actually was planning on today being the last day of the Salt and Light series. And actually, it is. Uh, it ended last week. Uh, so that's where we're at. Um, I was going to preach on biblical justice today, what it is and what it isn't. Um, and to be honest, uh, the more I looked at the sermon, it just became really clear. Like, we live in a day and age where we've made everything a justice issue, so nothing's a justice issue. Uh, and there are different perspectives on what justice is. And so it needs a lot of reframing. And so we'd, we'd love to do a, a mini-series later this year where we looked at five weeks, just different aspects of biblical justice and what it has in common uh, with different aspects of different people's views of justice and, and where it differs. Um, but we just felt like it was too big of a topic to do today. And as I, as I was increasingly feeling that reality, like it just wasn't going to do, it wouldn't do justice to justice uh, to do one, one Sunday, um, I also was increasingly feeling the, the opportunity and the desire to talk to you guys about experiencing God as Father. And so with it being Father's Day, it felt appropriate to do that. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Now, Father Day, Father's Day is a weird day. Uh, it's like Mother's Day in that um, it stirs up a like myriad of emotions inside of you. Depending on who you are, what your story is, um, if you are a dad or you're not a dad. Um, and so this morning I wanted to pray uh, for two groups of people. I, I wanted to pray comfort over one group of people. Uh, maybe for you, you didn't have a, a good dad. You had a dad who actively abused you or abandoned you. Um, maybe you had a dad who died sooner than you would have liked. Maybe you're struggling with infertility. You'd love to be a dad, and this feels like a painful reminder of the dad that you aren't. Or maybe today kicks up feelings for those of you who are dads, and you just, it reminds you of your failure to dad perfectly, to father well. So I want to pray comfort over you real quick. Um, father, for, for, for men and women in this room who identify with those statements, I pray that you would help them see that they really do have a true and better father. A father that earthly fathers are supposed to imperfectly point to and represent. And so, God, for those who um, God being portrayed as father actually makes it hard for them to see you clearly. Holy Spirit, I pray you supernaturally would empower them to see the father clearly through the lens of Jesus, not through the lens of their earthly father or lack thereof. I pray for a revelation of the father's love this morning for them. I pray that you'd comfort them, you'd encourage them, that they would know that they have a daddy who is with them through thick and thin regardless of what they're facing in their life, whether or not it's connected to their parents, um, you are here for them. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. And then the second thing I want to do is, is not just provide comfort, but I also want to honor uh, those who are fathers here. And so if you are a dad and you're here, would you stand for just a second? I uh, would love to honor you. Uh, go ahead and stand, stand. Go ahead and clap. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Jackie giving the uh, round of applause. Uh, <laughs> the full round. 
I go to take a seat. Um, we live in a culture, go to take a seat. We live in a culture that uh, doesn't value fathers. Um, I saw a joke the other day. It was like, there's a million songs about moms and almost none about dads. And the ones about dads are typically really bad. Um, uh, uh, I heard another thing that I, I thought was interesting. It said, most Mother's Day sermons are about how amazing moms are. And most Father's Day sermons are about how men need to get their act together. Uh, if you watch uh, so many shows, even like Disney shows, Nickelodeon shows, you'll often see your sitcoms, the dad's like a helpless patsy, like he's just an idiot, and everyone knows it. The kids are smarter than him. No one needs his wisdom or his insights. Um, but, 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 but actually, if you look culturally, um, people miss their dads. There's a hunger for dads. And I think even some of the, the ways that we've comedically written dads out of the picture in our society, I think part of that is a lot of us have been so hurt by the lack of the dad we wanted or needed that we can then kind of mock the need for it or go, it doesn't even matter. It's trivial. But in every, every, all the research that's ever been done on fatherhood says having a dad really impacts your life and having a good dad impacts your life. And so when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he taught them to start with our father. It's the Aramaic word, appa, for dearest father or daddy. It's an intimate phrase. Now, considering all we've gone through with our own earthly dads, that can be very hard to stomach. But what I want to say is, is, is for those who, who think that might make prayer hard to stomach or, or engaging with God hard to stomach, wh- what I want to invite you into is the possibility that God calling father is a chance for you to redeem what you needed in a father. It's a chance to, to change the shape of your relationship to a father. So again, we've been taught to relate by Jesus. Uh, we were taught to, to relate to God by Jesus. To God. So we've been taught by Jesus to relate to God as a father. And if we're disciples of Jesus, we need to conform our view of God to what Jesus says he looks like, not what we think he looks like or what we project onto him. Uh, one theologian says this. He says, God uses many words to describe himself, but one is stunningly personal, Father. This is thrilling and problematic. You don't have another Jesus or another Holy Spirit. By the way, if you have another Holy Spirit, it's bad news. We should talk about it. But you do have another Father, and your experience with him changes the way you see God. And so regardless of your background, uh, please don't tune me out this morning Please let God meet with you today. Um, here's the idea. None of us had a perfect dad. Uh, there's an author, a book that, that's pretty popular at our church by a guy named Dave Patty. He wrote a book called Father God about the relationships we have with our earthly fathers and how our relationship with God the Father can, can change that. And he says, um, through our fathers, we can receive gifts. Uh, he looks at the relationship of Jesus with God the Father while he was on earth, and he talks about these four father gifts that everyone longs for. Their identity, love, pleasure, and place. Identity, love, pleasure, and place. These are the gifts we see the Father giving Jesus during his life here on earth. And when we experience these gifts, they impact us. Uh, he, He says, Father identity gives us value. Father love brings us security. Father pleasure gives us healthy energy and motivation. And Father place lets you know you have a place of honor. Now, not all of us experienced Father gifts. Some of us didn't receive these gifts. Some of us um, were actively um, we were actively given the opposite. We were given Father wounds. And for others of us, uh, we were given nothing. 
uh, what Dave Patty calls a father vacuum. Again, when we don't receive father gifts due to our father's absence or apathy or passivity or neglect, we end up with a vacuum or a hole in our soul, which he says leads to two things. The first one is deadness. It's defined by allowing parts of who we are to die, no longer accessing or desiring that gift, allowing a part of ourselves to become numb. Often this is the inability to receive love or to retrieve emotions, for example. Like you turn off parts of yourself. You go, I've been so hurt or I haven't been given this thing. It, it can almost feel like what's hurting is the hunger. So if I turn off the hunger, I'll feel better, if that makes sense. Like if I turn off my, my appetite, not getting the, the, the food or the sustenance will make me feel better. You know, the love, security, identity. But the problem with that is you miss out on a whole, other, whole bunch of other relationships in your life now. If you can't give and receive love. You can't access your emotions. Uh, another thing that happens when we, when we don't receive the gift we need, again, this vacuum idea, um, you end up with addictive tendencies. Uh, basically trying to fill the legitimate desire for father gifts. Again, love, identity, place, pleasure. Trying to fill the legitimate desire for a father gift in an illegitimate way. It could be achieving at work. It could be unhealthy codependent relationships, substances, money, sex. It's an addiction to something where your end game with it is filling this hole in your heart. So a vacuum occurs when there's an absence of father resources. A wound happens when the father doesn't just not give you the gift, but gives you the opposite of the gift. So it's one thing to not affirm a child. It's another thing to tear a child down with your words. This is a wound. This is a, a vacuum. And when we experience wounds... We, it impacts us different ways long-term. One of the ways is uh, self-protection. This is defined by not allowing anyone to get close to us. We keep our walls up or our armor on. A way to keep from getting wounded again, which might have been helpful in the past, but now keeps us from getting close to God and those we want to be close to. For example, if you grew up in an abusive home, an unpredictable, scary, volatile home, you likely learned at a young age the way to survive and that was to protect yourself, to back off, to hide, to find something that could function almost like armor. When it gets loud, I get small. My mom's emotions fly off the handle, my dad's emotions. I get small, and, and maybe they, they'll miss me. They won't yell at me. They won't hit me. They won't embarrass me. Now, again, that might have served you when you were young, but as you've gotten older, um, it can really damage your relationships. Because now when someone wants to get emotional with you, that should be emotional with you in an appropriate way, your kids or your spouse or a, a brother or sister in Christ, you struggle to do it. Or more importantly, God. Like, I can't trust anyone. And so that would be um, self-protection. Uh, the, the other manifestation uh, is what he calls distortion, or uh, I'll call projection, but it's the idea that um, someone does something to us, and we, start, we always perceive it in terms of offense. If we've been wounded... We constantly think through the lens of wounding. So it's almost like um, you've been hurt by someone, right? Like imagine, um, like I was cut, someone cut me with a knife. And or let's say I had a surgery. And let's say you didn't know about the surgery. And you go in to give me a hug. And when you pat me on the hug, I wince in pain. I go, what's your problem? I react. You're like, what? dude, I'm just giving you a hug. What's going on? You're like, well, what you don't know is, is that you touch something really sensitive that hasn't healed. 
Does that make sense? And so this means, I mean, I remember, uh, so you interpret things that shouldn't be offensive as offensive. Remember early on in my marriage with Jackie, uh, there's a couple times where I'd like go in to kiss her and she'd like move away. Now, why she was moving away, there was one reason and one reason only. I had bad breath. Okay? She loved me. She did not love my breath. My, my bad breath could be easily remedied with gum, Altoids, brush your teeth, whatever, mouthwash. And instead of going, you know what I need to do in this moment? I need to like get fresh breath and go kiss this beautiful woman. I go, oh, I thought you loved me. You're rejecting me. I thought, oh, all right, I see how it is. It's cool. That's fine. I don't need to kiss. That's that kind of thing without healing you do all the time. Someone doesn't say hi to you on accident at a party. They hate you. That's how you interpret it. Does that make sense? So it has, you have a distorted way of relating. So father wounds cause us to self-protect or distort our ability to see our life and relationships clearly. But father gifts set our hearts free. Father gifts bring security, peace, and joy. So the bad news is, is many of us um, have not received what we needed to from our dads. And by the way, that's not because they were even bad people. No one can fully give us the gift that only God the Father can. Many parents just did the best they could with what they had. It wasn't great, but they did what they could. And so all of us, including them, need to consistently come back to receive from the heart of the Father. But some of us did have parents who, who weren't just imperfect, but they were absent, abusive, or apathetic. What you need to know this morning is that you have a new father who is attentive, available, excited, and affirming. Like he digs you kind of a lot. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. I have three questions I want to answer. Again, two will be quick, one will be longer. Number one, how did God become our father? According to the scriptures. Number two, what kind of father is he? Number three, what is the father's heart toward us and how should we respond to him? So number one, how did God become our fathers? Uh, the scriptures don't teach that every human who is ever born is his child. Uh, as the human race, we've rejected God, and spiritually, we have abandoned his family. And so there's this relational gap between humanity and God, and, and, and we are born unreconciled, and we need to be reconciled and brought back into that family. Now, that's happened. Galatians chapter 4 says this. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So he says, at the right time, Jesus entered into human history. He lived the life you and I were called to live perfectly. He fulfills the law in our place. He dies the death that you and I deserve to die because you and I have lived however we wanted to, and we've rejected God. And on the cross, when Jesus dies, he doesn't just die so that your sins might be forgiven. He dies that you'd be accepted and adopted by God the Father. His blood is the ink of your adoption papers. A friend of mine had uh, two biological kids and an adopted daughter, and he asked her, do you struggle with feeling like you're a real daughter, the adopted daughter, a real daughter? And she said, no. <laughs> My parents chose me and paid for me. <laughs> they didn't choose my brothers and sisters. 
We can know we have been chosen if we've put our faith in Jesus. And we know Jesus paid an enormous price on the cross for us to be both reconciled and adopted. This means you have worth and value. The Father chose you. He, Jesus died for you. He paid an infinite price. Again, it's a wonderful thing to be forgiven by God the judge, but it's an even better thing to be adopted by God the Father. Now, being adopted is one thing, but it's only good if God is a good father, right? What if you were adopted into a dysfunctional family that fools the government and the adoption agency? Which leads to my second question. Again, what kind of father is he? And, and Jesus tells us. In John chapter 14, verses 8 through 9, one of Jesus' disciples is getting really frustrated. Like, Jesus, who is God? Are you, you keep saying these things. Can you show us God? In verse 8, he says, Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so in this passage, Jesus says, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. I'm the image of what the Father is like. As Christians, uh, we hold to the belief that God is triune, one God in three person. All three, all three persons have all existed uh, eternally and didn't create each other. They are separate from each other, but all one God. It's a mystery, and Grant Clark would love to explain it to you the next time you guys grab coffee. But Jesus is saying, I have the exact same character as our Father in heaven. God the Father has the same character as God the Son. If you want to know what God is like, look at me. We often separate the character of the Father in Jesus. I think because Jesus was human— we, 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 we connect with him in that, right? And so oftentimes there's this sense that, that, that God the Son is so imminent, right? Jesus is my friend, my homeboy. He's safe. He's my savior. But the Father seems scary to us for some reason. Maybe it's because he didn't incarnate, but I think also because we had dads who made us view God the Father a certain way. But he says, no, all members of the Trinity have the same character, I think sometimes, like, the father is the judge. He's mean. The Holy Spirit's like the weird uncle who always stirs up wild stuff. Never know what to expect. It's going to ruin a barbecue. That kind of thinking is actually heretical. The triune God doesn't have different characters. They have different functions, but they are one in character, heart, and holiness. This means if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Remember how Jesus, Jesus treated the woman caught in adultery? That's what his daddy does. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Remember the way Jesus had compassion on people full of sin and suffering? That's what the Father does. That's the family business. And here's what this means for us, is, is, is we have to fight to not project what our Father was like onto God the Father. Your dad might have explicitly or implicitly said, you need to perform at a certain level to feel my love. Maybe it was implicit, right? The only time they told you they loved you was when you achieved something. They never said, we only love you if you achieve, but they only said they love you when you achieved. Maybe it was a whole lot worse than that, but you have a father who relates to you completely differently. So what I want to ask is, would you use Jesus to reveal God the Father to you, and would you, reveal, would you let God the Father reveal to you what a father is supposed to be? The other thing I want to say, I, I forgot to mention this while we were in 
uh, Galatians a second ago when it talked about how we're adopted as sons. Uh, one really important idea, if you're here and you're like, I'm a woman, I'm not a son. Uh, writing into that culture, the oldest son was like the favored son who got the inheritance. Women didn't get inheritance. To this day, in many Muslim nations, women aren't eligible for inheritance. Only men are. And then the chunks of the inheritance are broken up. And uh, in a patriarchal society, it's the oldest son gets it. What Paul is saying is, if you are in Christ, you are treated as the favorite child. So think favored child, not just son. That's what you've been adopted into. Number three, uh, this last question, what is the father's heart towards us and how should we respond to him? And I was going to list a couple of things that the father does to us, how he feels about us. The first one is the father's heart is to delight in us, to delight in us. How many of you guys, real quick, um, don't raise your hands. How many of you guys believe God delights in you? Like he enjoys you. Like he gets a kick out of you. Like you make him laugh, not at you, with you. Like you make him smile. Like he's proud of you. How many of you guys believe that? That's the truth of scripture. If you're in Christ, you're delighted in. It's not like a semi-delight. It's a full delight. And God's always had a desire to delight in his people. In the Old Testament, before Christ even, Zephaniah 3, 16 to 17, it says, On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. You ever been so happy you're, you're singing? You ever had that moment? Could be in the shower. I heard a couple kids singing in the shower at the, at the camp. Uh, you'd hear them in the cabin. All the kids would laugh. It's like, I'm pumped. They're happy. <laughs> Every moment you're like driving in the car and you kind of get into it. And then you're like, whoa, there's a person I know. <laughs> One time I was, uh, I was at a random Starbucks uh, on National Avenue, like right next to Logan, and uh, I got off to like use the bathroom or something, and then I, had, I was going to grab coffee, and I was in the drive-thru, and I was like, I just don't know anyone that frequents this National Avenue Starbucks, and uh, I was just driving to my car, and I was like listening to a worship song, and I was like getting pumped up listening to the worship song, I was like clapping in the car by myself, and then I saw Danny Kimlot just having coffee. <laughs> I was like, I was right, but, but, but God isn't bashful, he's stoked about what he's stoked about. It's like, I have nothing to apologize for here. I'm either so excited I'm singing over you, or I'm quieted in my love for you. The idea here, uh, there's a guy named Sam Storms. He's an Old Testament scholar, pastor, and, and he, he, he wrote a whole book called The Singing God. And in that book, it's about Zephaniah 3, and he says, um, if you read this in Hebrew, he, he's doing one of two things. He's either so excited he's singing over you, or... He is quieted in his love for you. And he's like, the idea is contentedness. Like looking, watching your kids sleep. Even the roughest kids, when they're sleeping, they're cute, man. There's content. Like, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, one of my favorite things in the world, uh, I don't want them to know this because it could get out of hand. But um, if, if I'm like taking a nap on our couch, I'm like laying on my stomach on the couch, often, Olivia and Calvin will ask to sit on my back and watch TV. They could sit. There's a perfectly good, it's an L-shaped couch. They could sit over here. They sit over here. They want to sit on me. And, uh, and I honestly just, like, love it, man. They want to be that close to me. 
that they're just there with me. They're content in whatever they're doing to stay connected to me in a small way. Um, I love that. It's the same idea. Like, I'm just content to be with you because I love you. When they're doing that, I'm not going, I wish you guys would get it together and perform so I could love you. Like, I'm in this love right now. I'm feeling it. No, you can't have another snack, but I love this. Matthew chapter 3, we see this with God the Father and Jesus. It's Jesus' baptism. Matthew three sixteen to 17 says, When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Well pleased means completely pleased. No margin left. I am fully pleased with this child. Infinitely pleased. Now, here's what else you need to know. The Father delights in you as much as he delights in Jesus because you're united to him by faith. Like he goes, Cameron, I couldn't be more pleased with you than I am in this moment. And when we don't believe this, it makes us do crazy things. Uh, I've told this story before, but (laughs) I'll just share it again. Um... Uh, One of the wildest things I've ever seen in my life. And uh, you guys might not know this, but I was in the United States Air Force uh, for two weeks. Two weeks, three weeks of glory, I like to call it. It's my tour of San Antonio. And uh, and, uh, as a long story, I ended up not making it. Spoiler alert, I had asthma and it was kind of a wild ride. But... But I remember we, 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 we got to, like, uh, basic training or whatever, and, um, and they're just, like, looking for stuff to point out. I mean, Jimmy, actually, I'd love to ask him one day, the psychologist. I think they're trying to intimidate you, uh, kind of break you down and build you up. But they're looking for anything wrong with you to, like, call out, it seems like. They're walking up and down the line, like, major pain, just kind of. And, uh, and they also couldn't cuss, which I thought was wild. Like, I've seen Full Metal Jacket and stuff. They're like, what the freak is this? Uh, and sit on your crack or something like that. And, uh. It was like lawsuits or whatever. But anyways, a guy rolls up, and he just walks up to this kid, man. And, and one of the things that they, they teach you before you get there is um, don't have any facial hair. That's like a really big thing. Uh, they're like, no, uh, you know, uh, no 5 o'clock shadow, no beard, uh, no, you know, Elvis sideburns, no flavor saver, no mustache, like nothing, okay? Clean shaven. And I think pretty much everyone's like uh, recruiting officer person told them that because everyone is like fresh, like baby's butt fresh, except for this one guy who had some stubble going on. And I'll never forget the, the TI guy just like walks right up to him and he just goes, what is that? And everyone's like, what's going on? And, and he just, and it's kind of like an all for one, one for all situation. So he just goes, get in the latrine, the bathroom. Everyone get in there and shave. It's three in the morning, mind you. Shave your whole face. And he says it over, shave your whole face. Shave your whole freaking face. And everyone's running. Everyone's, it's like 18-year-old children just panicked and uh, you know, trying to find razors. And we already did it. And it's just it's wild. It's ferociously shaving. We're nervous. Uh, there's blood everywhere because there's no hair to shave. But everyone's doing it real intense. Just be careful. And I'll never forget it. Like, we're deep into the shaving thing. And I just heard the T.I. go, what the? And we looked. And the guy had shaved his eyebrows off. <laughs> Now, I don't think that cat, that was like his normal grooming routine. I'm from South San Diego. I was like, just draw him in, bro. It'll be fine. Every girl I went to middle school with did this. He, uh, what he learned really quickly was you have those eyebrows for when you run to keep the sweat out of your eyes, like a sweat sponge, which he found out real quick. Uh, that being said, why did he do this, right? Like, why would you do this? It's crazy. 
He's trying to earn the approval of this T.I. And when you're trying to earn the approval of someone, you do crazy stuff. Um, some of you guys, you're, you're trying to earn the approval of your boss and you're neglecting your family or your own self-care and soul, your own relationship with God. Some of you guys are close, if not already, cheating on your spouse, flirting with someone, moving towards something. Some of you are still trying to get your parents to say, I love you, and they may not even be alive, and it's breaking you. Some of you are trying to prove your parents wrong after all these years. But you need to know that you don't need to perform for God the Father. We get to partner with God the Father. We don't perform for God the Father. If you're a Christian every day, even ministry, it's, take, it's, it's God the Father, it's take your kid to work day. It's like, I'm going to bless people. I'm going to extend my kingdom today through you. It's going to be imperfect because you're involved, but it's going to be an honor. We got every day is an adventure with the Father. People to love, people to bless. If you open your eyes to see. Even this week at the, um, the junior high, high school camp, I'm not a youth ministry guy at all. And about three hours in, I realized I have to be a youth ministry guy for the next, all right, we got 14 kids in the cabin, 200 kids total, wild understaffed situation. I mean, I think it was legally up to par, just to be clear, but I think it was like, there was no extras, you know? And, um, and I realized every day there's kids to bless. There's kids that are opening up at our cabin that are saying stuff like, I never had a dad. And, you know, I looked to this guy as a, a father figure during the, the youth pastor. And, and then I got to say over another kid, I didn't even know, I found out later parts of his story from the youth pastor. And I just got to say, hey, when I see you, I, I see you see people. I watch you walk around a room. And from the little kids who are here, to the other high school kids, man, you, you're kind to people, and it seems like you're trying to bless all of them. You're giving candy away. You're asking if you can help. You're doing these things. And, and, and throughout the Bible, Jesus walked through crowds, and he saw people. And the most frequent emotion attributed to him was compassion. I just want you to know, man, that um, you look like Jesus. And he has a messy past. Um, he's got a, a single mom who's really struggling. I had a single mom. It's just it, it, for her, she's really struggling. He's dealt with abuse, all these different things. I got to say all this over him, and I found out later. And he was in tears, and he seemed like this 16-year-old kid's like, whatever, I'm at camp. And the idea, I bring all this up to say every day there was people to bless. Now, some kids, people aren't going to be as vulnerable maybe as teens at a youth camp, but the kids aren't really vulnerable most of the time, right? Like they have the two hours in the chapel, uh, and then they're trying to play it cool for the girls. They're like showing off in the basketball court or whatever. But, but all around you, in the same way, there's people who look like they have hard hearts, but there's people who are dying for someone to speak life to them. You work with them. You know them. Their boyfriend just broke up with them. Their girlfriend just broke up with them. Their mom's sick. Whatever it is, and you have a chance to bless them and love them. And you get to go, Dad, it's, it's take your kid to work day. Who do you want me to bless today? You get to partner with him. And it's not going to be your performance. Like just, it just isn't. Um, my, my daughter, uh, Olivia, when she first started talking, um, she didn't talk good. I remember her first word was mook. Uh, it wasn't Dada, which is sad. It was Mook. And, uh, and Mook, uh, she wasn't a Red Sox fan. It wasn't Mookie Betts at the time. It was uh, John Crossman was the baseball joke. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was milk, okay? So she's doing her best. She, she can't even say the word right, and all of us are freaking out. Like her brothers are saying, say it again, Liv. Say it again, Liv. We're trying to film it, right? Uh, bragging about it, right? And it wasn't like this is the, the best use of the English language I've ever seen. I am blown away. She's made the word milk more efficient. How is that possible? 
Is she a genius? No, she's our daughter and their sister. So it's a privilege because we delight in her. What's happening in her life is huge for us because we delight in her. So the father, uh, he has a heart to, to delight in you. He also has a heart to direct you. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. Don't raise your hands. How many of you have parents who are grudging, <laughs> grudging givers? They don't want to help, and if they do, they hold it over your head. God the Father's not like that. He loves opportunities to give his kids things. He loves to bless his kids. He's not annoyed. Why are you coming to ask me for help on this? You should know already. You're old enough. Why do you need my wisdom? Why do you need my money? Why do you need my perspective? Why do you need my time every time? Because this is an opportunity to give you me. He's generous and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. How, how amazing would it be if you approached your prayer life like that? Like when I go to ask God for stuff, he's like, oh, yeah, let's get it. I've got wisdom for you. If you really want it, sometimes we ask, which James gets into, we ask what we really want to do, whatever we want to do. But when we actually come to him, like, I don't know what to do, he meets us and he instructs us through his spirit, through his word, through his people. Many of us walk through life thinking we have to figure everything out on our own. One of the roughest parts about walking with people who didn't have good parents, and I, I, I had a rough parent situation as a kid, is we often will say things to each other like, I feel like we have to figure it all out on our own. I'd figure out how to manage money on my own. I'd figure out how to be married on my own. I'd figure out how to raise kids on my own. But actually, the Father has so much wisdom for us that he gives to us in all different ways if we'll receive it. We're not on our own. Uh, I, I remember, uh, and again, life, it could just feel like it's so hard and so crazy. I remember one time I was with Royce, and we were on a ministry trip, and we were going to uh, Ireland uh, from Tunisia, I think. And we went through the Paris airport. And I'll never forget it. I, um, we, we got to our gate, and uh, our flight wasn't there. It didn't say we had missed it. It just wasn't there. And uh, we were, you know, we were early, as far as I could tell. And then, uh, so we went to another Air France desk. We're like, hey, we're looking for the flight. Looking for the flight. They ended up saying, oh, it's actually like 40 gates that way. Run that way. We get there. It's like a Korean Airlines. It's not Air France. It's just not the flight. And then we go and talk to another Air France person, and they go, oh, you're looking at, you thought the boarding time was the flight time. You got there too early, so go back. And so then we go back, and we've been running around like the mom in Home Alone, just Paris Airport, just, you know, talking to people, you know, Kevin. And, uh, and then we go, we hit this, we hit the Dublin gate. It was like, oh, it's our flight. Great. Uh, there's like a bus thing where they have to take you. It's a smaller commuter flight from Paris to Dublin. And I realized, like, in that whole wild run around the airport, I lost my passport. Not great. Uh, and I'll never forget, like, I just, I was, like, panicking. And um, I was, like, going to go retrace my steps. And the lady was like, you have five minutes. You have five minutes or this thing's going to go. And Royce was, like, looking through my uh, luggage for me. And I'm running around. And I remember being so stressed out. And I'll never forget Royce just lovingly. If you know Royce, this is totally him. He lovingly put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, Andy, maybe if you slow down you'd make better decisions. <laughs> it wasn't mean. It was like true. I mean, I, I didn't want to hear it in the moment, but it was true. And we did slow down. And actually, uh, I ended up, my last run, the bus was delayed picking us up at the gate. I was running through the airport and some random British guy was like, are you American? I was like, yeah. He's like, are you looking for a passport? I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, G7 on top of the desk. 
And I went over there, and uh, it was great. I found it. It was amazing. Um, but, but the key idea is, is in life, we can run around thinking it's all on us to figure out a situation, freak ourselves out, do the wrong stuff, get ourselves into a whole lot of trouble. And what we need is the Father's perspective to say, calm down. Let's take a breath. Here's who I am as your Father. Here's what I've done for you in Jesus. Here's who you are, the identity you have. Here's what I'm doing in your life. Here's how I feel about you. Here's what you're, here's what's true for you no matter what. Here's what's actually at stake in the situation that's got you so stressed out. It's, it's not the end of the world. I would know because I would end the world. Here's your, actually, also, I'm going to call you out a little bit as a father. Here's what your motives are around that financial decision or that dating decision. Here's what's really going on. Here's what's really at stake about what that person thinks of you at work. Here's what's at stake if you don't get your doctorate as fast as you thought you would or you didn't get the promotion. Right, we, we need a perspective. Some of us, again, we, we're so stressed out about what people think of us. I remember Olivia, um, I remember one time uh, Clive came up to me. He was like really frustrated when he was younger. He was like nine, and he said, Olivia called me a crybaby butt face. And I just had to ask him. I was like, are you a crybaby butt face? He's like, no. I'm like, why are you bothered then? She doesn't know anything. She's four or whatever. She's three. But he needed to be reminded by his dad. Like, hey, your identity is you're loved. You're not a crybaby butt face. In other words, what people think of you doesn't define you. A lot of us still need to hear that. Someone might be mad at me. might be upset with me. That's okay. We need to hear him say through his word, Here's my, wa- my ways are better than your ways. My approach to money or power or sex or conflict or whatever it is, you can trust me. Please listen to me. I created this world, right? And sometimes we think, kind of like, I got myself into this mess. I need to get myself out. I don't you've ever thought of that. You made a mistake. You sinned. You're like, I made a mistake. I need to pay for it. I need to get myself out. And it's just not the truth. And a lot of times trying to get ourselves out of the mistake on our own leads to more pain. Anyone who's ever beat an addiction, it wasn't doing it on their own even though that's what shame tells you over and over and over again. We're not called to get ourselves out of it on our own. I remember um, when, when Clive was probably five, we were playing football in our front yard in Normal Heights, and the house next to us, if you guys remember, it had, a, it had wooden slats, kind of a traditional like, you know, wood fence or whatever, and he leaned into, he caught like a touchdown, and for him, if he caught it, if he touched the wall, it was a touchdown, and he, and he touched the wood, and the wood moved, like the move, wood, the wood uh, when he pressed it, it like bended in, and then his finger got caught between the wood, and then it bended back, and instantly, what do you want to do in that moment, if you're him? Pull it out, which would make it way worse. He needed a dad to, to, to open up that wood to allow him to move out safely. It's the same thing for us. We have to get ourselves into trouble and think, I need to get out on my own. But the truth is we have a father who would love to help us. And so do you seek his help, his guidance, his wisdom? And then last but not least, do you trust his discipline? In uh, Hebrews chapter 12, you have the verses. It says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, you know, as favored children? My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, they are illegitimate children and not sons. 
Furthermore, we had, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields to the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Again, good parents, they, they discipline their kids for the kids' benefit, not to, like, pay back, <laughs> not to get them back and have revenge because they were a bad boy or whatever and embarrassed you at, at Target. It's like, um, if you keep acting this way, this is how your life's going to go if you don't change some of these behaviors and patterns. And so um, that's God is perfect. So that's what he does. This one's not karma. It's not retributive. Jesus took all of God's wrath on the cross. There's none left for you. Discipline is not punitive. It's corrective. It's restorative. Um, I, I was talking to the kids at the junior high camp this week, and I taught them, on, uh, uh, taught them about prayer, and I did the, kind of the classic, why is there unanswered prayer? How, how are prayer? And I said, you know, the classic, you know, every prayer is answered. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a yes. You get what you want when you want it. It's a no. I'm not going to do this, or it's a later. You're not ready for the thing you think you want. And I got to talk to them and say, hey, um, sometimes he says no, because from his sovereign perspective, he knows that if he gave you what you think you want now, it will ruin you. Most families who win the lottery <laughs> end up broke and divided. I don't know if you guys know that. Uh, money doesn't always give us what we think we want. There are many people you can look back on that you dated that you wanted to marry that you're like, I'm glad I didn't marry him, right? We can see jobs we wanted that we thought, this, I love this job, and then you, someone else got the job and you didn't, or someone you knew worked there, and then you saw what happened, and you go, I'm glad I wasn't working there. Uh, Dear Carson tells a story about a seminary student who asked for an extension on his exam by one week because he was going to go and interview at a church across the country, and they told him no. Uh, you, you, this date's been on your calendar for months. Uh, you shouldn't have scheduled this thing on this day. And so he couldn't go. And the flight he would have taken crashed. So there's all these kinds of moments like this. God has a mind we don't understand. He's above our pay grade. Like, you know, stuff you and I just don't know. And for our good, always, there are things he takes away. But it's for our good that we'd become like Jesus. We don't know how and when. And it's bad. Don't, whenever someone's suffering, don't tell them, God's making you like Jesus. God's doing that for sure. But we don't know exactly how. You don't need to make meaning out of it for them. The spirit can reveal that to them over time, but it could be a no or it could be a later, right? Like if Clive or if Calvin walked in right now, I was like, dad, I want to drive. I'm going to say not yet. I think you will be a great driver someday. Today, I think we know it would be bad. I've seen you walk sometimes, <laughs> right? I've seen you run when you get excited. You're just, it's just because you're not old enough, but you will be one day. And so what I want to say this is, is this means that nothing that happens to us has to crush us no matter how painful it is because God will ultimately use it for our good. We have a father who's making everything right. By the way, I, I was in a counseling class recently and we were talking about when should you counsel someone with the promises of God when they're suffering? Like when should you tell them? And I said, some people said, man, you just got to tell them right away. Some said, hey, that's insensitive. You got to wait. And then uh, the professor said, actually, you want to tell them before suffering comes. And so today I want to tell you in advance, God is for you even in your suffering. He does use really broken stuff to do something beautiful. 
He will make every wrong right one day that's ever happened in this world. You want to talk about justice. There will, there will be true justice. It's not if, it's when, including the wrongs that are in our hearts. And so we can trust his discipline. We can trust his correcting, corrective hand. We can trust that he's with us when we're struggling. So what I want to do right now is call the worship team up. Uh, we're going to do one song. Um, five minutes will be at the 100-minute mark, which is where we want to uh, end gatherings normally. Child dedications, we're, we're tight. But, but what I want to do is um, ask them if they would just strum for a second and then go into the song. Um, and by the way, at, at 11.45, if you could go grab your kids if they're in there. Um, but, um, but right now, uh, what I want to do is just take a minute and just ask you these questions. Okay, so would you guys just close your eyes and join me in a quick moment of contemplation? When you think about God the Father, have you received his delight? Have you received his delight? Do you believe he doesn't just love you? He likes you. He enjoys you. Do you really believe that? Like, like, like Jesus, he, <laughs> he died for the world, but he didn't die for any one person more than any other person. And so in that way, you're as important as anyone who's ever lived to him. He doesn't have favorites in that way. You really are special to him. He delights in you. So have you received his delight? Uh, second, have you sought his direction or his guidance? Do you have a decision right now where you, you need him to speak in with his truth, his perspective? This is who you are. This is what I've done for you. This is what life is really about and what it isn't about. This is the right way to do this. Have you sought his direction, his wisdom? And then lastly, can you trust his discipline? Can you trust his wisdom? If life's going really bad right now, can you trust that he's with you? That he hasn't abandoned you? That he's still out for your good? That he's not punishing you? He's taking something broken and turning it into something beautiful, but the timeline might not be what you want. So just take a second. Have you received his delight? Have you sought his direction? Are you willing to trust his discipline? And if your answer is no to any of those questions and you want help on your spiritual journey as leaders, we'd love to walk with you through that and help you learn how to walk in th those realities as God's kids.